0: Wall to wall. The impeachment inquiry enters a new public phase. Americans will hear for themselves the allegations against President Trump. I'm not concerned about anything. Will televised hearings change that? And the buck stops. Where? Top officials suggest the quid pro quo went all the way up to the White House acting chief of staff.
1: We do that all the time. Get over it. And a
0: former advisor signals he could reveal new information. So who was directing the U.S. stance towards Ukraine? I'll speak to Republican Senator Ron Johnson next. Plus, room to grow? A surprise announcement shakes up the 2020 presidential race as former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg makes a play for the Democratic nomination. Is he right to doubt the 2020 contenders?
2: We have to make sure that we have a candidate that brings people with us.
0: Presidential candidate Senator Amy Klobuchar joins me to discuss next. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is on the brink. Today is the beginning of what could be a pivotal week in the impeachment inquiry, when Americans will get to hear for the first time directly from three witnesses at the center of the investigation. The public hearings are set to begin after the release of transcripts showing two key witnesses, National Security Council staffers Dr. Fiona Hill, who has since left the White House, and Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, testified that they were told that the push to get Ukraine to open investigations into the Bidens and the 2016 election was coordinating, coordinated by acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. On Friday, Mulvaney defied a congressional subpoena, refusing to testify instead asking to join a lawsuit that will settle whether certain current and former White House officials can be forced to testify. This could set up a potential constitutional crisis, as the White House exerts executive privilege over some of the witnesses Congress believes, Democrats in Congress believe, are the most crucial to its investigation. Republicans are also giving some new clues into their strategy. They've released a list of witnesses that they want called to publicly testify as part of the inquiry, including... Hunter Biden and the whistleblower. In a letter released late Saturday, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff said that the whistleblower will not be called, saying that testimony is, quote, redundant and unnecessary. Joining me now to discuss all of this, a Republican senator who has been directly involved in U.S.-Ukraine policy, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, also the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Morning, Jake. How are you doing? So if we can, first, I'd like to try to just get some information because you had a window into a lot of this and that the, the rest of us don't have. On August 31st, you called President Trump to ask him point blank whether military aid to Ukraine was being held up in exchange for Ukraine publicly announcing these political investigations. And you say that the president strongly denied it. But one day later, on September 1st, Ambassador Sondland, uh, as, he test- as he testified to Congress, quote, spoke individually with Mr. Yermak, the Ukrainian advisor to the president of Ukraine, where I said, this is uh, Sondland speaking, that the resumption of U.S. aid would likely not occur until Ukraine provided the public anti-corruption statement that we had been discussing for weeks, unquote. And just to be clear what that means by the anti-corruption efforts, Sondland had said this was part of a, quote, effort to prompt the Ukrainians to investigate Vice President Biden or his son, or to involve Ukrainians directly or indirectly in the president's 2020 re-election campaign, unquote. So how do you reconcile that the Ukrainians were being told they needed to announce these investigations publicly if they wanted that aid, one day after President Trump told you, strongly, that that was not the case?
3: Well, first of all, let me correct your typification of why I called the president. Uh, I called the president to try and get, to convince him to let me, uh, let uh, President Zelensky know I was going to make a trip to... Uh, Ukraine the following week, I met President Zelensky with Senator Murphy on on September 5th. And my main point was I was trying to get him to give me the the clearance to say, to tell President Zelensky that the aid was going to be uh, provided. And so when I asked him that, he he was, again, very consistent. Uh, He said, Ron, you you know what a corrupt place it is. And besides, Ron, uh, you know, why isn't Europe stepping up the plate? I, I, I talked to Angela Merkel, And I say, why don't you provide funding for these things? And and Angela Merkel tells me, because you will. Iran, we're schmucks. And so that was the rationale that he'd consistently been providing to certainly me, and I think uh, other people uh, in his administration of why he had serious reservations, and I would say legitimate reservations about providing you know hard-earned taxpayer dollars Mm -hmm. to Ukraine. So can I just interject for one second? I want up to President
0: Trump. Listen. Go ahead. Sure. Go ahead. I, I just want to. It's not true that Europe. Said, does, it, I, I, it's not true that Europe doesn't uh, help the Ukrainians. Uh, I mean, I just want to. This is not you I, saying it's again, President Trump. I'm, I'm not Trump. here to argue. I'm, I'm just, uh, just. Just, just. Uh, I just not want to view, argue with you. I just I'm want. I just want talk, our talk, viewers talk, to know. I just I'm want here to argue. provide. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I just want to correct the, I, the one thing you, that but, President but again, Trump said because the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development says that the EU uh, contributed 425.2 million. Uh, on average, for 2016-2017, The U.S. was second with 20- 204 million. Again, I'm not fact-checking you. Uh, the president's impression yeah. is, is incorrect. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: Yeah, Jake, I'm not here to argue the individual points. I'm trying to give you what what exactly yeah. happened. Okay, Please. so your listeners hear different viewpoint, different perspective. So I'm the one that raised the issue from my phone call with uh, Gordon Sullivan the day before, where he described you know some some type of something that. Ukraine had to do before President Trump would release the funding. And when I brought up that scenario, President Trump immediately, and I've described as adamantly and vehemently denied it. So that, that's really what the purpose of that phone call was. But going back uh, to, to the May 23rd meeting in, in the Oval Office, and this is what uh, uh, Kurt Volker testified that President Trump basically said. I can't, you know, I don't, I don't have the, you know, my impression of what the exact quote was, but this is largely true. Kurt Volker said, this is what President Trump said about Ukraine. They are all corrupt. I don't want to spend any time with that. That was his general feeling of Ukraine. One of the things I was trying to do, we were all trying to do, is get him to meet with President Zelensky. We felt he would be every bit as impressed with President Zelensky's dedication to fulfilling his mandate to not only defeat, uh, not only fight corruption, but as he said in in a speech in Ukraine that Murphy and I uh, attended, to defeat corruption. We were Mm -hmm. very confident that President Trump would meet President Zelensky, he would kind of feel soulmate there. And the support would flow. And also, Jake, I have to point out, I found out about the, the withholding of the, or the holdup in the funding about the end of August, you know, August 29th. Right. The, f- the funding was released by September 11th, largely due to a lot of pressure put on by people like me and Senator Portman and Senator Durbin and other people. So, also the whistleblower again, complaint. The funding was released. And go ahead. Well, the whistleblower well, complaint who, came out, and then two days know, later, the the Who, aid who was knows released. exactly why, but. I'll, right. A lot of us, a lot of us, are trying to put that pressure on. Fair enough. But, but again, I, I remain sympathetic with, with President Trump's legitimate concerns about the corruption. When you're going to provide hundreds of millions of dollars of hard-earned American taxpayer dollars into a system, you want to make sure it's not corrupt. I and think he's I, been very consistent in his conversations with me and others that that was his reason for withholding the funding.
0: Yeah. So I, I think the thing is when he spoke with President Zelensky on July 25th. The president, in all his opposition to corruption, only brought up two items. One of them had to do with CrowdStrike and this conspiracy theory that the Ukrainians actually hacked the DNC. And the other one had to do with Joe and Hunter Biden, who he named in particular. Uh, and, and that's why a lot of the people who have testified, as we learned this week, and these are not anti Trumpers, these are people who either work for President Trump right now or have worked for President Trump, uh, they have testified that they came to see that when people talked about corruption, they meant Biden, that that's what it actually meant. A lot of the people, whether it's Gordon Sondland or yep. Fiona Hill or Lieutenant Colonel Vidbin, one after the other uh, understood your point of view from like, oh, the president opposes corruption in Ukraine and who, who wouldn't oppose corruption, but that in actuality, what they, they came to see This was actually, and I think Fiona Hill used the term code, this was actually code for Investigate the Bidens. Well,
3: again, that's their impression. I've never heard the president say, you know, I want to dig up dirt on a potential 2020 opponent. You know, what I've always heard the president consistently concerned about is what happened in 2016— why did this? You know, how did this false narrative of Russian collusion with my campaign occur? Why was I strapped with a special counsel? Right, and there are two I'm investigations about that, right? There get are to two the investigations of what happened there. It's a, it's a, very human desire, Jake. You know, Jake, you are interrupting me, but but go ahead, and interrupt me again.
0: Well, I just want to say, in terms of the invest, in terms of the investigations into the origins, in May, the Attorney General appointed a, a former U.S. Attorney, John Durham, who's very respected, to investigate the origins of the Russia investigation. There's also the inspector general for the Justice Department investigating whether or not the FBI conducted any FISA abuse or any other abuses. There are investigations into that already by the right, United it, States it, law enforcement community. The way,
3: and, and by the way, I continue with my oversight with Senator Chuck Grassley and some pretty interesting things have occurred. You know, the, the, the political article back in 2017 made, named Alexandra Chalupa as an American Ukrainian that was hired by the DNC now, now, through the Freedom of Information Act requests, we found out that she visited the White House 27 times during the campaign. You know, in our oversight letter, we, we point out that she had a meeting with 68 Ukrainian journalists. A month later, the black ledger digging up dirt on yeah. dropping the dime on Paul Manafort occurred, and and Nellie Orr also talks about uh, working with a Paul Manafort in prison politician that is completely admitted trying to, you know, dig up dirt on President Trump as well. So there, there's a lot of smoke out there. There's a lot of questions that remain unanswered. And from my perspective, it's a completely legitimate concern on the part of President Trump to find out what happened. I mean, why have yeah. I been tormented? You know, wh- why have, wh- where's this effort to sabotage my, my, my presidency since so, the day after the election? You know, I'd be asking the same questions. And by the way, I am asking the same questions.
0: So that's not what President Trump is pushing for, though, when he talks about... This DNC crowd strike it, server short, conspiracy Jay, theory. Sh- Listen to President Trump. Listen to President Trump's that, that, that former sh- homeland security advisor. For- President Trump's former homeland security advisor, Tom Bossert. When it came out that President Trump was pushing for an investigation into this conspiracy theory, this is what Bossert had to say.
1: It's not
3: only a conspiracy theory; it is completely debunked. Let me just again repeat that it has no validity. The United States government reached its conclusion on attributing to Russia the DNC hack in 2016.
0: So that's not me. That's, that's President Trump's former Homeland Security Advisor. Yeah, but I want to yeah,
3: ask you a question Jay, Jay, about that. That is the server, and that is correct. But I just pointed out Alexandra Chalupa worked for the DNC. That is a question that remains open. Yeah. So, so that, that's a legitimate concern. You know, one thing your CNN article asked was, why was this funding withheld? I would ask a different question. Why weren't the Ukrainians asking concerned about that well before I met President Zelensky so, on September 5th? I, I was with President Poroshenko on December 18th. There's no problem about this. At the inauguration, this issue wasn't raised. I meet with Ukrainian so, uh, representatives all the time. Nobody ever raised the issue of the military funding being withheld. So, you know, so from all, my standpoint, this, mm-hmm. is the, this is the way I said it to President Zelensky. This is a timing issue. This is the end of so the year. There's let me ask you about that, that timing issue. I, I know Mick Mulvaney and Russ vote. They're, they're fiscal conservatives. Go. You know why are we spending so, this, Senator? With three weeks left in the fiscal year. That's another plausible explanation.
0: But the N.S.C. officials testified that this wasn't about uh, being a fiscal conservative from Mulvaney. Uh, Fiona Hill and uh, Vindman, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, said Sondland said that this agreement, this, you have to announce these public. Uh, investigations into the Bidens was being coordinated by Mick Mulvaney, does it not concern you that the White House chief of staff reportedly supported this? What is clearly a you have to do this if you want the money, because literally, and you know this because you have been a strong advocate for military aid to Ukraine. Literally, Ukrainians desperately needed this military aid and were dying, were dying, literally being killed between the time that the money was held up in July and when it was released in September. So this isn't just about political games and throwing out well, names Jake, like Jake, Alexandra Jalupa. This is about uh, Jake, people who desperately Jake. need military aid getting it.
3: Jake, there's a war going on and people are dying. You know, President Obama, we authorized $300 million of lethal defensive weaponry. He never supplied it. I, I would take things that Colonel Vidman says the grain of salt as well, because in his testimony, he said the Obama administration... Provided javelin weapons, they didn't. It was March 2018 that 210 uh, javelin weapons were finally approved in terms of a right. movement over to Ukraine. So, so again, yes, it doesn't people are concern dying, you that Mulvaney is I bringing the question, up this quid why, why, why weren't the Ukraine? Why weren't the Ukrainians? Why weren't the Ukrainians asking me about? Where, where's all the support? But sir, it doesn't concern the you. support. Poroshenko well, didn't in my other meetings. It wasn't until the very end of August, a few weeks before the end of fiscal year. Senator Murphy says, says that the, that the Ukrainians,
0: Senator Murphy says Ukrainians were concerned about the holdup of the aid. Can I just ask you, though, does it really not concern you at all yeah, that in, Mick Mulvaney... In September, in
3: September and at th- the end of August, when we all found out about it.
0: But does it really not concern you at all that Mick Mulvaney has now been... Uh, it's been asserted by Gordon Sondland that Mick Mulvaney... Was, the, was saying they can't get this military aid or a White House meeting unless they publicly announced these corruption investigations, which are about Burisma and the Bidens. That doesn't concern you at all.
3: Well, it, from my standpoint, I understand that most of President Trump's advisors wanted the military aid released, and they were trying to figure out in some way, shape, or form to convince President Trump to approve that release. It's certainly what I was trying to do in my, my phone call to him on August thirty-first. So I, I don't have a problem with advisors trying to figure out some way, shape, or form to convince the boss to do this. But the relevant question is. Even well, if it's what for what a political was the president's investigation in this? to assist my opponents? testimony, is that when I raised the issue, he vehemently, adamantly, and angrily denied that there was any kind of, you know, condition to release that. He was concerned about corruption. He was concerned about The fact that Europe doesn't step up the plate and provide as much support as they really should because it's it's in their backyard. I'm just telling you what I know about my my own conversation with President Trump.
0: All right. Senator Ron Johnson, we appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg filed paperwork this week to join the 2020 Democratic field. So what does that say about the Democrats who have been running for months? We'll ask 2020 candidate Senator Amy Klobuchar next. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. You could call it the revenge of the billionaires as top 2020 candidates target the uber-rich. Former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg is now considering jumping into the race. He's apparently concerned about the strength of the current field of Democrats. Joining me now to discuss Senator Amy Klobuchar, who is now qualified for the next two Democratic debates. She's also a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Klobuchar, thanks so much. Congratulations on making the the, the debate stages. Um, We have a lot to get to. Thanks, Jake. I want to ask you about impeachment. House Republicans Are asking to call many of their own witnesses, including Hunter Biden, to testify in the impeachment probe. Would you be okay with Hunter Biden testifying?
2: Adam Schiff has said this best, and that is that's what this is all about, which was a sham investigation that the president was trying to push. And for now, the House is simply gathering relevant evidence about what the president did. That is what this is about. I note they also want to try to get the whistleblower to testify. when, in fact, all sources tell us that what the whistleblower said was secondhand information, and they now have firsthand information of diplomats, military people, others that actually heard these actions occur, where the president was pushing uh, for Ukraine to start an investigation against his political opponents in exchange for military assistance. Uh, That is what all of this mounting evidence is showing, and that is why— I would agree with Adam Schiff. Why would you reveal the whistleblower when you're supposed to have protections, which Republican Senator Grassley has vehemently argued for, protections for this whistleblower?
0: So that's a no on Hunter Biden?
2: I I see no reason why you would have Hunter Biden testify when, uh, from what all the reports that we've seen, is this wasn't a valid investigation. It was something where the president was messing around to try to get information against a political opponent.
0: Let's turn to the latest in the 2020 race. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg uh, filed a run in the 2020 primary election in Alabama, the first state with a filing deadline. The mayor seems to be concerned, according to his aides, that Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are too liberal to beat Trump and that the moderate candidates, such as yourself, are not strong enough to win the nomination. Is his analysis incorrect?
2: Yes, very incorrect. First of all, I'm gaining momentum all the time. Uh, We're doubling our offices in Iowa Uh, We got an extraordinary amount of help uh, after that last debate, uh, raising $2.1 million at AmyKlobuchar.com in just six days. And so we are building an operation that can win. And I have the most endorsements of anyone in Iowa, of any of the candidates. Stepping back to this assertion from his spokesperson, I have seen a lot of excitement about all of our candidates. I think all of them have served our country in one way or another. And when people look at the White House and they see this multimillionaire, including, by the way, independents, moderate Republicans, and now he's messing up so many things, I don't think they say, oh, we need someone richer. I don't think that, Jake. I think you have to earn votes and not buy them. And I certainly welcome Mayor Bloomberg to the race. He has done incredible work on gun safety, on environmental issues, and it is work of merit. But I don't think you just waltz in and say, instead of, well, I'm good enough to be president, your argument is the other people aren't good enough. That is not how we've been conducting these debates. We're having legitimate debates about who is the strongest person. I think I have the strongest argument, being from the heartland, the place that we need to win, being the one that has won every red and purple congressional district over and over again, and someone who can govern from strength, and someone who's gotten through the gridlock Mm -hmm. of Washington. I'm looking forward to debating Mayor Bloomberg about that, but not if he just comes in and his whole purpose is Mm -hmm. to say the rest of the field isn't good enough.
0: Two new recent polls have shown that the moderate candidate who appears to be breaking into the top tier in Iowa is actually South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Recent comments in The New York Times suggest that you don't believe that Mayor Buttigieg is qualified to be the president. Am I reading that wrong?
2: Uh, Yes. I, I don't think I want to dwell on various press articles uh, but I'll say this. I think any of the candidates that were on that debate stage uh, were more qualified uh, than the president of the United States right now. So well, that's more, that qualified, more qualified, more qualified like than Mayor Trump. Pete,
0: Do you think did you think Buttigieg yes. is qualified, period?
2: Yes. OK, but let me explain why I think I am the better candidate. And by the way, we get asked this all the time. Welcome to politics. And that's what was in that article. Various candidates get asked about each other all the time. And I made what I think was a cogent case. And that is that I'm the one from the Midwest that's actually Mm. won in a statewide race over and over again, including bringing in those voters that just voted in Kentucky, those kind of voters, just voted in Virginia, brought them over the edge so that we had strong leaders that were able to win those elections. Those are the kind of voters I've won. And that's not true of Mayor Pete. That's just a fact. Right. I also am someone that has passed multiple bills as the lead Democrat, important bills in Washington, D.C. He's had a different experience. We should be able to have those debates about candidates without being accused of being negative. All this is our questions were asked. And the last point I made in that article was that of the women on the stage, I'm focusing here on my fellow women senators of Senator Harris, Senator Warren and myself, Do I think that we would be standing on that stage if we had the experience that he had? No, I don't. Maybe we're held to a different standard. But my goal here is to get the best candidate to lead the ticket. I believe that's me. That is why I have been able to attract the kind of support Mm -hmm. that I have in the early states. And I am doing this the right way, running a grassroots campaign. Senator, your 2020
0: opponents, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Elizabeth Warren, Uh, are feuding, I think it's fair to say, after Biden said that the way Warren is pushing for Medicare for all is, quote, elitist. Do you agree that the way she pushes her plans and suggests uh, that her plan is the right one and Joe Biden should run in a different primary if he's going to repeat Republican uh, talking points, do you agree that this is elitist?
2: Okay, let me separate these things. I don't think Elizabeth Warren is elitist. I don't think that that is not the adjective I would use to describe her in any way. I think she's pushing for a policy that I don't agree with and would kick 149 million Americans off of their health care in just four years, their current health care. That is a fact. It says it on page 8 of the bill of the Sanders-Warren bill. That being said, I think there's a better way with one big, bold idea, and that is by having a competitive nonprofit option that can compete with the insurance companies and bring the prices down. I also think that we need to take on the pharmaceutical companies in a big way, Mm -hmm. work that I have done with Senator Sanders. And that means bringing in less expensive drugs from other countries. Mm -hmm. That means allowing and unleashing Medicare to negotiate and getting rid of that prohibition that says they can't. I lead that bill and I will get that done as president. And it also means looking at the House proposal, which is a Mm -hmm. great one to put a cap on some of these prices and save taxpayers three hundred fifty billion dollars. Those are bold ideas, Jake, and there is no monopoly on good ideas. And that's the point I would make about Senator Warren's and Senator Sanders' proposals. I would not call them elitist. Well,
0: Warren and Sanders aren't here, but they would say those individuals would be kicked off private insurance but then would be covered by the government health player, Medicare for All. Thank you so much, Senator Klobuchar. We appreciate your time as always.
2: It was great to be on. Thanks, Jake.
0: President Trump has a new defense for his administration's dealings with Ukraine. No firsthand knowledge. Is he right? We'll break down the key testimony next.
1: It seems that nobody has any firsthand knowledge. There is no firsthand knowledge. And all that matters is one thing, the transcript. And the transcript is perfect.
0: Not sure about the transcript being perfect, but he is true that the firsthand uh, testimonies have not come yet. President Trump distancing himself today, or this week, from new testimony released this week. And where are key officials who may have that firsthand knowledge? They're not to be found. Let's discuss. But first, I have a little house cleaning. First of all, I want to hold up... Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre's new book, Moving Forward. It's the only reason we're allowed to have you on <laughs> CNN you so today. So thank you so much. Congratulations on the book. And second of all, uh, we have two veterans at the table, and I want to say thank you so much for your, your sacrifices thank you. Thank you. Thank and your service. Really appreciate it. Uh, Congressman, let me start with you. It does seem essential uh, that Rudy Giuliani and Mick Mulvaney, who have the firsthand knowledge of what President Trump told them or did not tell them to do, testify, are, sure. we, are we ever going to hear from them?
1: That's a great question. You know, I've now been a congressman for just about a year or so, so I can remember what it's like not to be a congressman, watching TV. I remember when I was in Afghanistan, you turn on the TV, you see how ridiculous politics is. Rudy Giuliani, Mick Mulvaney, they're perfectly evincing that at this moment. If there's nothing to hide... Then just come up and speak with these with these committees. This is not difficult. This is checkers, not chess.
0: And, and you're on the. We should point out you're on the Trump campaign advisory committee, uh, David. What do you think? I mean, it, it's not a bad argument. Like if there's nothing to hide, Mulvaney and,
4: and yeah, but, Giuliani should testify. Yeah, but this is also this is also politics at the highest level, right? Being played on both sides now. This is you know this isn't about um, uh, an exposition of the truth as much as it is an exposition of politics at this point, right? And, and so I, I think there's absolutely zero to gain from either of those gentlemen who going to testify, other than, and testify, uh, and the perjury trap that Mr. Sondland found out that he was uh, he, he almost got himself into. Yeah, what do you think? Well,
5: I, yeah, there's zero to gain. Yeah, there's the truth to gain. Yeah. I mean, if you put somebody under oath, you hopefully will get the truth. And these are the people who do have first-hand knowledge. Mulvaney, you know, he's now joined the lawsuit to say, you know, court, tell me what to do because I'm caught between two branches of government. And there you have the president saying, oh, yeah, Mick Mulvaney, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm fine with him going up. Well, if you're fine with him going up, why not send him up?
0: But, uh, <laughs> do you, do, what do you think? What do you think? This is a, a potential constitutional crisis that we have here because yeah. there's no way that Giuliani and Mulvaney uh, want to go willingly. They've made that clear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's the question of the executive privilege being asserted by the White House versus Congress saying we were subpoenaing you.
6: I, I always go back to this. The do me a favor, though we have to remove in, in the in the transcript and we got a mem- we saw like the, the memo of, of of that transcript and this is what Donald Trump says he admitted to it so when they talk about the whistleblower eh, that that argument is kind of mute now when we talk about the de- de- when you look at the depositions diplomat after diplomat have gone on record to say that give their first account of what happened the president has admitted it in the memo he admitted it in front of the cameras Mick Mulvaney admitted it his lawyer Giuliani admitted it. like we already know where we stand with this because the truth is out there. We're just digging in to make sure we can connect the dots. Yeah, but uh,
4: see, see, Corinne, this is where we disagree and this is where I don't think there's testimony. There, 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 even, there's no testimony. And Jake, you, know, you, you said this earlier, your earlier segment, um, Senator Johnson says this as well. The testimony from all these, all these officials say, we're talking about a meeting, about the potential meeting between President Zelensky. That's the only first hand knowledge that anybody has that, that they'll talk about. Um, you know, you'll see... Um, uh, whether it's Tim Morrison who said, Look, I didn't think it was. The this, National Security Staff. So, so I, I he was first on the call, and so Vindman was too. The only two people who were actually participants in the call yeah. said, You know, Morrison said, I, I don't, look, I, I didn't like it, but I don't think it's illegal. And, and nobody there talks about, there was no discussion of aid during any of this. Ex- not, yeah, not, Vin- yeah. not one bit. Not one bit. was yeah.
5: so upset about this. This is a lieutenant right. colonel. He's a decorated veteran. No, he was so right. upset about it, David, great. that he. He went to his boss, John Bolton said he didn't want to be part of this drug deal, and they went Linda, to
4: I, I don't the disagree, counsel. listen I don't disagree that Colonel Vindman thinks he's doing exactly what's correct in this case. I don't disagree with it at all. I disagree with his analysis, the whole policy. It is, people have differences of opinion. Listen, if you went to Foggy Bottom and asked about Iran, if you went to Foggy Bottom and asked about the Paris Accord, you'd get
1: lots of people pushing back. So this we're saying, so we, we are even yeah. One, one yeah. person you, you can all, vote on this. <laughs> you all are <laughs> right. way too much in the weeds right That's now. Okay, right. so there's some just very important questions here. Why, when the president of the United States had the opportunity to bring up anyone, anyone in the world, Why did he bring up the Biden family during that conversation? In the rough transcript, right. And moreover, an even deeper conversation. one sec, one sec. Is it okay, though, for a president, a senator, a congressperson to use their office to advance their own self-interest? I'm sure you don't think that's okay. And that is all we are trying to get to the bottom of here. And as we continue to obfuscate, deflect, deflect... talk about this person, that person, you are not seeing the big picture here, which is the fact that potentially, potentially, and that's all we're trying to get to, the president of the United States talked about draining the swamp, and he became part of it. So so what the president
4: says, and, 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 and what, the, what the answer to that question is, he's talking about corruption, talked about corruption with, with uh, Senator Johnson earlier, talked about corruption on numerous th- attempts, saw saw Ukraine as, as a is a cesspool of corruption. That's,
0: that's what he's talking true. about. Listen, listen, I've got to squeeze We're going to keep the conversation going. Uh, coming up, several Democratic candidates are sharpening their criticism of Senator Elizabeth Warren. But are some of their words rubbing voters the wrong way? That's next.
3: I have no, no problem with him getting in the race.
1: I think he's going to hurt Biden, actually. But he doesn't have the magic to do well. Um, Little Michael will fail.
5: Oh my goodness, how important, how monumental that he's running for president. It's not
6: enough just to have somebody come in, anybody, and say they're going to buy this
0: election. The candidate standing between former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg and the Oval Office weighing in on his possible 2020 bid. Uh, let's discuss. Jump here. Uh, Karine, Jean-Pierre. Let me start with you. What, what do you make of, of this uh, surprise announcement from Bloomberg?
6: I, you know, if he does decide to do it, it's going to be clearly an uphill battle. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can't really, like they say, buy yourself an election and no one is pining for a, a billionaire to jump in. But there's another piece of this, too, which is. You cannot win the Democratic nomination or the general election, a Democrat can't, without getting overwhelming support from African Americans, from the black community. One of the problems that Michael Bloomberg has is stop and frisk policy that he oversaw as mayor of New York City. This is a policy that overwhelmingly put black boys, black men and black and Latino men in prison, which was seen as a as a civil rights violation. So how does he get through that? So there's more to this. Then he, he really needs to think about.
0: He was your mayor. You're a fellow New York City sure. moderate Democrat. Sure. What do you think?
1: So a few things. One, as another short New Yorker, I'm deeply offended by the president's <laughs> comments. Uh, the second thing, I'd like to applaud Mayor Dinkins as being the only living New York City <laughs> mayor right now to not involve himself in 2020 drama. <laughs> but in all seriousness right now, okay, this is no longer about left or middle. Where the American people are, both the primary elected, electorate as well as the general electorate, is they're populace. The central question is, is whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the special interests or hardworking Americans who have been ignored or ripped off? So the more, the merrier in this primary. Let's see what happens. It's a year away, um, but he can't he can't buy it. So let's see what he's what he going to say.
5: You know, it's really sort of unfortunate because Bloomberg does have two very important issues which should matter to the Democrats. Climate and guns. And he's actually spent a lot of his wealth promoting uh, these issues. And so he should be a credible candidate. But I have to agree with Corinne. It's, it's going to be a very difficult uphill battle. I always thought he ought to have gotten into the Republican primary and challenged President Trump. Then at least we'd have one real billionaire in the race.
0: David, I want you to take a look at this poll. Recent Fox, uh, Fox News poll <clears throat> before he announced shows only 6% of Democratic primary voters would definitely support Bloomberg. 50% say they would definitely support Michelle Obama, 27% Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. A third of the voters said they would never vote for Bloomberg. That's the highest in this survey, even over uh, Hillary Clinton, who got a pretty sizable 30%. Please don't run. Um, so he doesn't come into the race incredibly popular with Democrats.
4: Yeah, so it's amazing what a billion dollars will do for you, though, right? <laughs> if you're if you're going to spend a billion dollars of your own money. <clears throat> Kevin Sheeke, who's, uh, who's the mayor's uh, strategist, is an incredibly talented guy. Mike Bloomberg's a very smart guy. I wouldn't put it past him be able to move those numbers. Uh, look, I think this it's, it's incredibly interesting that the Democrats have two billionaires running in the primary. Tom Steyer now and Michael Bloomberg, had <laughs> two socialists. That shows you the ex, ex, you know the expanse between this party. They can't figure out which Luther way they're Warren going. Warren is not a socialist. Okay, was well, so close to socialist. Yeah. But but you know, <laughs> you know it shows you the expanse and the struggle for the soul of the Democratic Party. Where they're going to end up. You know, Max points out correctly like He's, he's a moderate. He thinks that's where both probably America wants to end up. But you have Wait, two two different spectrums here.
6: You're talking about Democrats and the soul of the, no, <laughs> of I'm the Democratic just saying, Party. I, I'm just saying this. a battle party Corinne. as Donald Trump who I, well, he, is he's, dividing the country. No, I, I, in constantly. the party, Korean
4: in the party, Donald Trump's 90 plus percent. In yeah, your party, wait. there is nobody at 90%. No, but
6: Trump isn't. Everybody's you want to talk about Tuesday? You want to talk about Virginia and yeah, how it turned sure. blue? Sure, it's And fine. how the suburbs Absolutely. are leaving sure. the, the Republican but Party? That's not, but that's not a Donald but Trump. That's not a oh, Donald no, Trump no, that is I no, think David
5: makes an important point, and it's one that... Wait, wait, wait let's listen. say it. that again, Linda. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. And it's one that ought to be celebrated. <laughs> there <laughs> actually is diversity in the Democratic Party, and there is none anymore. And we have to end it there
0: again. Happy Veterans Day to both of you, veterans. Thank you for honoring us with your presence here today, as well as you Thank really you. appreciate Thank it you so much. Uh, it's a question on a lot of people's minds what has happened to Senator Lindsey Graham that's next <laughs> finally from us this Sunday we invited the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina to the show this week we were told he was unavailable. Uh, We wanted to ask Graham about his views of the mounting evidence that President Trump's team was pushing Ukraine to publicly announce an investigation into the Bidens and that the $400 million in aid and the White House meeting that the government of Ukraine desperately wanted would not happen without that announcement. Graham's public statements on the matter have been confusing. On September 25th, after the White House released that rough call transcript between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky, Graham called the call a, quote, nothing, non-quid-pro-quo burger.
7: If you're looking for a circumstance where the president of the United States was threatening the Ukraine with cutting off aid unless they investigated his political opponent, you would be very disappointed. That does not exist.
0: Then in October, Graham told Axios that other evidence beyond the rough transcript might change his mind. If you could show me that,
7: you know, Trump actually was engaging in a quid pro quo outside the phone call, that would be very disturbing.
0: We now have reams of evidence, testimony from multiple Trump administration diplomats and national security officials, current and former, suggesting that outside that phone call, Ambassador Gordon Sondland, Rudy Giuliani, Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, all were pushing Ukraine To investigate the bidens if they wanted that aid in that white house meeting now the judiciary committee chairman has a different and brand new take
7: what i can tell you about the trump policy toward the ukraine it was incoherent it depends on who you talk to they seem to be incapable of forming a quid pro quo
0: coherence is not particularly evident in chairman graham's position on this impeachment inquiry on October 9th, he tweeted, quote, if House Democrats refuse to release the full transcript of former Ukraine Ambassador Kurt Volker's testimony, as requested by Republican Congressman Jordan, it will be an abuse of power. And then this week, as that transcript and many others were released, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee said he was not going to read any of the transcripts. Do you plan
7: on reading these transcripts that were released? No, I don't care what anybody else says about the phone call. The phone call I've made up my own mind is, is fine. I think this is a bunch of BS.:
0: Beyond the fact that reading these transcripts is actually, you know, Graham's job as Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman, his statement recalled nothing so much as former Indiana Republican Congressman Earl Landgreeb in 1974, when asked by an Associated Press reporter about a new set of damning Nixon tapes. Congressman Landgreeb said, quote, don't confuse me with the facts. I've got a closed mind. I'm going to stick with my president. Now, we see plenty of folks like that in Congress today, but it is jarring to hear similar sentiments from Graham, who, as House impeachment manager during the Clinton impeachment, and then under the tutelage of his former mentor, the late John McCain, saw and perhaps still sees himself as someone willing to be independent with allegiance not to any politician, but to the public, to the rule of law, to the U.S. Constitution. Graham spoke on the Senate floor after the loss of his friend McCain.
7: Don't look to me to replace this man.
0: Look to me to remember
7: what he was all about and try to follow in his footsteps.
0: Is Senator Lindsey Graham trying to follow in the footsteps of John McCain? Or is he trying to follow in the footsteps of Earl Landgreeb? Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with us and happy Veterans Day to all who have served and sacrificed. Fareed Zakaria is next.